that song, One Way. Ask the team to sing that this morning because I'm going to be speaking about that very, very soon. One Way. What a blast from the past. And I know that uh, kids from Kids Church have been pretty excited about this song as well. It's one of the popular ones sung down at Kids Church too. But welcome everybody. It's great to have you joining us today for Church Online. As Amy has already said, it's a big day for the football today as it was last weekend for the AFL. Now it is for the NRL and it's the last day of the season. So well done to all the Panthers fans that have got there and the Rabbitohs fans and well done to everybody that's been able to put up with the football banter for the months that we've been able to do that. It is finished. Today is the last day for you. So there's cause for celebration. If you're not into football, if you're not into sport, you've made it. Well done. Well, today we want to start a new series called People of the Way. People of the Way. Do you know that first century Christians, and for many years after that, were called People of the Way? They were known as those people from the followers of the way. That's the definition that they were given. They weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way. And what that meant is they weren't just people that ascribed to a certain set of theology. They were still working that through what they understood and what they believed. It wasn't just people that just attended church on a Sunday. Their whole life was consumed with following Jesus. Every part of their life, their beliefs, their, their, the way that they lived their life, the way that they behaved, the way that they lived out their faith in daily life. They were people of the way. People acknowledged and saw them and, and could recognize that these people were different. The world was going one way, but the Christians, the people of Jesus, were going the other way. They were people of the way. And so we wanted to talk over these next five weeks or so, what does it look like to be people of the way? What does it mean to be a Christian in 21st century church, a 21st century world? What does it mean to be a person of the way, people of the way? Because it's not just attending church on a Sunday. It's not just filling out a census form that says that you're a Christian. It's not just having a knowledge of the theology or the set of beliefs that we have or knowing about God. But it actually means more than that. It actually is life change. It's actually an experience with God. It's actually an adventure of doing life following Jesus each and every single day. See, the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus, they understood that it was an all-in decision. Every part of their life, it meant that they were different. They were people of the way. That's how they were described by the community and the people around them. They were mocked and they were persecuted because they were people of the way. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not an optional extra as part of our life as a Christian. Jesus clearly says he is the way. The gospel claim is that Jesus is the way. Jesus himself said those words, I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm going to say something controversial to you this morning, something that in years to come will probably be incredibly controversial to say. But here it is. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to truth. He is the only way to life. Jesus is the only way. There are a lot of religions, but Jesus is the only way. See, Jesus is either the greatest conman of all time 
or Jesus is who he says he is. The claim of the gospel, the claim of Jesus is that he is the Son of God, that he is the way to the Father, that he is the way to life and hope. Jesus is the way. See, there's some kind of weird theology that's creeping in into our world today that there are many ways to heaven. That there are many ways to God and you can just try and find your path. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it says clearly in the gospel and Jesus, the God of the gospel says it himself, that he's the only way. Jesus is the only way. There is only one way. So I want to read this morning from John chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles at home or following along on your phone this morning, flip it out, get ready, turn it on. And let's read together. John 14 verse 1 says this says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. These are the words of Jesus to his disciples. He says this, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you. There's the truth right there. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back to win and to take back his people. It says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We know we have a future in heaven. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, Thomas says this. He says, no, we don't know, Lord. It says, we have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? I love the honesty of Thomas. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love the thing about Christianity, the thing that makes us different as people of the way is that we have a relationship with the one that makes the way, and that is Jesus Christ. See, a lot of religions are about observing things, observing traditions, observing behaviors, observing beliefs, observing uh, the, the, the doctrines that they have. But the thing about Christianity is it's not just about observing, it's about experiencing. Christian is about ex- Christianity and people of the way experience God. They don't just know about the way, they know the way because the way is Jesus. And Christianity is about experiencing God, knowing God first and experiencing Him. And all change comes from that place. See, Scripture says it this way, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good is good. There's something about tasting and experiencing for yourself that changes the equation. See, I love to be able to experience great food, but it's not the same just looking at it in a cookbook. It's not the same just looking at it in a picture. You've got to taste it and experience it for yourself. You can't just see it in a book and just say, oh, that's a nice pretty picture and understand what it tastes like and really understand what that food is like. You have to taste it. You have to experience it. And that's the truth of the gospel. See, I've been loving uh, these incredible ice creams called Malteser ice creams. I mean, it's a match made in heaven, really, isn't it? It's, a Mal- it's Maltesers mixed into ice cream. It's, it, I mean, it's a simple thing, but there are genius people on the earth. And I've been enjoying these ice creams, right? 
But if I just got these ice creams and I just looked at the box, I looked at the energy, the protein, the fat content, the saturated fat, the carbohydrates, the sodium, if I just read all the details about it, I read the ingredients, what's involved in it, I saw all the things that were there on the box, so I, I went and I felt the wrapper and I, and I looked at it and I surveyed the, the way that it looks and looked at the different ways that they've designed it and I look at all the branding, but I never tasted it, I wouldn't really experience what these taste like. I wouldn't really experience what they were created for, to be tasted and experienced. And I want to encourage you this morning, even if you're a Christian or if you're watching this morning and you're not a Christian, Jesus is to be experienced. The gospel talks about not just a theory or a set of beliefs of theology. The gospel is inviting us to an experience of a relationship with Jesus. That's what made the people of the way so radical and so different. They weren't just worshipping idols or worshipping some religious statue or some religious thing. They were, they were having a living relationship with Jesus. That's what people of the way do. We experience God. We taste and see. See, Christianity isn't just about observing. Christianity is about experiencing. If Christianity isn't personal, it's not powerful. We need to understand that it's meant to be personal to us, that it lights something up so we can know all about somebody. But if we don't know them personally, there is such a big difference and divide. And we can know all the facts about Christianity and, and what it means to be people of the way. But if we don't live every day in a living, vibrant, authentic relationship with Jesus, being spirit-led, then we are missing out on the experience that those early disciples had. And that what we are called to do as people of the way, we are called to follow the one that guides the way. And that is Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. So three things this morning that followers of the way or people of the way believe. The first one is this, and it's very simple, and we sung it this morning. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. It says here, Jesus told them, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the way through. I'm the way to be able to guide and direct you. See, the thing about the Gospels is this. The Gospel teaches an inclusive Gospel and an exclusive gospel. What do I mean by that? It says that everybody is included in, 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 in the gospel, that everybody can come and have relationship with Jesus. We are all invited to know Jesus personally and have relationship. Jesus came, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that scripture. And it's true that we have all, whoever comes, can experience Jesus. But it also is exclusive in the sense that it's saying that Jesus is the only way. It's not saying that it's just one of the ways you can get to heaven or one of the ways to God. Jesus himself makes that claim and says, I am the only way. So if we want to know Jesus, if we want to live with purpose and hope, then we need to have a relationship with him. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. See, sometimes when we get on our GPS, we can type in a location that we want to go to. And what will happen is it will give us multiple options of different ways we can go around to get to our destination, different times and different directions, different routes we can take. And then we can choose which route and it ultimately takes us to our destination. 
But the truth about Christianity and the truth about our relationship with Jesus and our hope when it comes to Him and finding our home in heaven one day is that there is not just multiple ways to that. There's only one way. There's only one route. And that route is through Jesus. See, there's a story in the Bible about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. I want to read it to you this morning. And he's a man who was a very moral man that felt like he was doing all the things right to be able to find his way to God. But he encounters Jesus and starts to list off all these good things that he's been doing. But Jesus challenges him about maybe a way that he's trying to get to heaven that is not the right way. And so it says here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. See, Jesus here is identifying, hey, you've come to me because you see there's an authority on my life and you've come to me because you realize there's something different about me. He says, which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad for he had many possessions. So he was a young man that had morally done all the things that he thought were right. He had obeyed the commandments. He had lived a life that he thought was honorable and right. But what Jesus identified here in this young man is that he had another way that he thought that he could live his life, putting his possessions and putting the things that he owned above Jesus. And this is the nature of the gospel, that there is only one way to heaven. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus. And Jesus clearly articulates to this young man, hey, listen, if you want to get to heaven, if you truly want to know the way, then I need to be put in number one place in your life. I can't be second behind your possessions. I can't be second behind your good morals and the way that you try and live your life and have self-righteousness. I can't be second behind that. Jesus must be placed in top position, in number one position in our life. Jesus is the way. See, there are a lot of religions that try and make our own way to God. A lot of ways that we try and uh, be on our best behavior, observe certain things to be able to do it or keep these rituals and traditions to try and earn our way to heaven. But Jesus is very clear. The hard work and the heavy lifting has been done by Jesus on the cross as we, as we so beautifully heard in communion this morning from Felicity. Jesus has done the work. We just need to receive him into our life. And when we receive him as the way, the pathway is clear and directed. I love the word uh, that says in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be studied. He wants to be known. And as we begin to uh, uh, give trust to him and begin to uh, put our hope in him, he guides and leads us. He directs our steps that he shows us the way that we should walk. Sometimes we make Christianity so complicated when it's the simplicity of following Jesus. 
knowing Jesus personally and follow him. That's what people of the way do. That's what the early disciples did that was so radical that turned the world upside down. They followed Jesus passionately and radically. The second thing this morning is this. It says, in Jesus' words, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. See, sometime, at some point in our life, we need to accept that there is either the truth or there is your truth. And there's a lot of people that are trying to live life according to their truth and whatever that would be. But there's got to be an absolute truth or there's no truth at all. And I think sometimes we're living and walking with our own perspectives and our own way of seeing things, but we need to understand if there's not an absolute truth, then there's no truth at all. If there's not something we can stand and live on and know that it's reliable and trustworthy like the Word of God, then we are living this life with our perspective of truth or our opinion of truth, but we're not living with the confidence of absolute truth. And Christianity's claim is that the truth is the Word of God, that the truth is the words of Jesus, that the truth is Jesus died for mankind, rose again on the third day so that we could have salvation and hope with Jesus. That is what the Bible is all about. Throughout all of the books of the Bible, it still tells the one story of the redemption of mankind. Now, we try and have our different perspectives and our ways of seeing things and our different ways of, of truth that we see in our own life. And it's very popular in the day and age that we're in to talk about our truth. But really, there is only one truth. And that truth is something that we need to rely upon as Christians. As I said before, Jesus is either the greatest con man of all time or he is who he said he was. And I'd say he's even more than a con man. He's crazy because he led uh, his 12 disciples, most of them, to death uh, because of their belief in Jesus. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people since then have been martyred and died for their faith because of the claims of Jesus. So we need to make the decision, we all need to make this for ourselves, whether there is an absolute truth which is found in Jesus and found in the Word of God, or whether we're going to live our life with a perspective of truth that only comes from ourselves. Each and every person has got to decide that the claims of Jesus are clear, but we all need to choose whether we believe who Jesus says He was, or we don't. And that's a choice that only you can make for yourself. It says in Scripture, for, in John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible is full of incredible truths and promises to us to fill our life. Now, I think a lot of people struggle with understanding whether the Bible is true or not. So I just want to give you a few reasons to understand the validity of the Bible that you would be able to understand and believe that. Here's some truths, the truth of the Bible. The Bible is unique among all books in the world. And its message is unified through all its 66 books. It was written by over 40 different writers, including shepherds, kings, priests, scholars, fishermen, prophets, and it spanned the writing over 1,500 years. However, the Bible remains unified in its message, even though it displays a wide variety of genres and authors who wrote in a variety of, for a variety of purposes and exhibits a broad range of emotions. You can see throughout the Bible all the different scopes of writing. But here's some reasons to believe in the Bible. Firstly, the first one's this, 
Bible prophecy that's fulfilled. See, hundreds of Bible prophecies spoken in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. Now, understanding this, that there were, these were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' time. And Jesus came and fulfilled them. There was talk about Jesus of Nazareth. There was talk about a Messiah coming. All of these things that started to line up. Hundreds of years difference. Different authors over many different years. And here we see hundreds of prophecies coming to pass. And being true and being fulfilled in the New Testament. We can see that this isn't just a book. This is a prophetic book. This book is speaking supernaturally into our lives. 350 Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus. That's powerful. There's truth to the Word of God. Here's another one. The Bible's survival. There has been many, many people over the course of history, over the thousands of years that the Bible has existed, that have made it their mission to destroy the Bible, to say that the Bible will be no more in their lifetime. In fact, let me give you a story this morning. There's a guy called Voltaire. He was a French philosopher in the late 1600s, early 1700s, and he made it his mission in life to be able to write about and to be able to tell people about the fact that the Bible was false. And so he spent his whole life trying to eliminate the Bible. He made this claim that in a hundred years from his lifetime that the Bible will be no more. That it will just literally be a storybook that people will be able to look back in time and see the stupidity of those that followed Jesus and that were Christians. Well, here's the truth of the matter. 50 years after he died, the Bible Society purchased his, his house and it became a printing press for the Bible. It became a place where they would not only store the Bible, but distribute the Bible to thousands and thousands of people. The Bible lives on. That's just one story of many people over the history of time that have said in their lifetime they would destroy the Bible. There would be no more on the earth. It would be eradicated from the earth. But the Bible remains. It's actually miraculous that this book that is so loved and so hated would be able to survive the test of time that it has what about the honesty of the bible is another reason the embarrassment of the characters if i was to make up a lie over many authors over 1500 years and yet they all have the same unity if i was to make up a lie i would make the characters look like they are angels but we know the truth of the gospels we know the truth of the old testament as it tells you faults and all every detail about these people it talks about the disciples and the stories of Peter when Jesus has to say to him get behind me Satan and all the different things that goes wrong it talks about their weaknesses the Bible's honesty can be trusted and I think it's something we should understand that the Bible isn't just trying to tell us all the good bits it tells us the highs and lows of life that the moments in the pit where David cries out to God and talks about his weaknesses and his failures and his mental health struggles and yet he was this great king it talks about how he how he committed adultery and all of his flaws and failures that's the Bible it's honest about every character and every part. What about the archaeological and geographical evidence of the Bible? We see that throughout the manuscripts and the different things that are brought together, the accuracy. In fact, historians will tell us that the Bible tells us a clear picture of history. It's actually one of the most documented um, works of history. When you look at all the writings of that time, the Bible stands alone in terms of the content and the available uh, historical evidence that is there. It's incredible when we understand that the Bible is backed by so many different things. What about the historical evidence of Jesus? 
There's many writings that are not even Christian writings that speak about Jesus of Nazareth living through, throughout those times in history. It's just a simple fact and widely, widely understood that Jesus did live. But we have to decide for ourselves, was Jesus just a man or was he who he said he was? What about the Gospels writer's motivation? See, most of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus died as a martyr for that story. What was their motivation as an eyewitness? What was their motivation as a writer of the Gospels, if not to tell the truth? Because these men not only died, but then thousands of other believers died, believing that and so on. Those eyewitnesses that were there to, to, the, to attest to Jesus rising from the dead, they were all there to tell the truth. But yet many of them, hundreds and hundreds of those early disciples died for their faith would they die for a lie would they give it all up to be able to go to the grave for a lie wouldn't they at those, those last moments say that it wasn't true and get out of that punishment and they weren't just small deaths they were painful deaths that these people died to be able to live a lie if it wasn't true what about the impact of scripture on people's lives we look today at the changed and transformed lives of people, people that are in jail cells that encounter the Bible and read it and their life is radically transformed. We start to understand this isn't just a book that we read. It isn't just a, a book of genres and authors and just something that's nice morally. It's a supernatural book. It's a book that brings transformation and change to our life. It's the truth that we base our life on as people of the way. It's supernatural. It brings life. It brings vitality to your faith. It changes and transforms your life. It renews you into the image of God. It helps you to become the child and the son of God that God's called you to be. It declares the gospel. It reminds you who you are in the word of God. It reminds you of the promises of God. This is supernatural. It's powerful. As you read it, it reads you. The Bible can transform and change lives, and we've seen it over billions and billions of people's lives, the impact of the gospel, and finally, the unity of the gospel message. Throughout so many different authors, over 1,500 years, over three languages and written over three continents, the Bible's message is clear through every chapter, through every verse. It talk, talks about the redemption of mankind, the unity of the gospel over a 1,500-year span over many orders, authors is true. It shines through. How could that be that someone that wrote something 1,500 years ago could be as relevant as the last person that wrote it and it could all line up in agreement? How could that be? How could somebody orchestrate such a massive lie over so many places and so many years and so many different people and still keep the unity of the gospel message? The Bible is the foundation of our faith. The Bible is the truth. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. It says that, 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 that Jesus came in flesh and blood. The Word became flesh and it moved and He moved into the neighborhood of humanity. This Word, this truth was embodied in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. And we start to live out of that place. The Bible is reliable. The Bible you can trust and depend upon. All Scripture is God-breathed, it says. And finally, this morning, we've talked about the truth. And the third and final point this morning is this. Jesus is the life. See, theology is having an engine, but never turning it on. 
We need to experience God. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be studied. He wants to be known. And I think for all of us, we have to decide whether we are going to live the life that Jesus has for us, which the scripture talks about us and says, my life is hidden in Christ. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the finished work of Jesus is like a cloak that we put on that protects us. And our life is found in Christ. We become a new creation. So our past and our sins and our mistakes and our failures and the things we've done wrong over many years is forgiven. Our history is forgiven. Our our, our current is redeemed and our future is forgiven and redeemed. All the finished work of Jesus is found in our relationship with Him. That's the life. Jesus said that He came that we may have life, Zoe life, life to the full, abundant life, the kind of life that brings salvation to others, the kind of life where the, 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 the Word of God flows through us, the kind of life that we live with joy that is uncontainable. Jesus came that we have that life. Now, theology is like me having my motorbike up here on stage and looking at it and going, oh, yes, I can see all about this motorbike. But actually a relationship with Jesus is like turning the keys on and starting to ride that motorbike, doing what it was intended to do, experiencing on the, in the, on the roads, the curves and the corners and being able to tear down that highway or whatever you want to do. It's experiencing it. And I think even as Christians, we can sometimes fall into a category of having a really theological understanding of God a knowledge-based understanding of God, and that's fantastic. And that's part of our faith. But I want to encourage you today to go beyond that and understand that being a follower of the way is not just merely theology. It's turning the keys on. It's living daily in a relationship with Jesus. It's the intimacy with God that causes life change in you. It's as we pray, it's like oxygen to our soul. As we read the Bible, it's like food to our spirit. As we begin to live out our faith every day, it's like exercising our faith. We are just living in relationship with Jesus as followers of the way. See, I think for all of us, we've got to make the decision whether Jesus is real or not. And I know for me, let's say that I'm wrong. Say that I've got it wrong. I've lived a good life. I've had good friends around me, good church community, good people around me in my life. I've lived a life where I've, as a Christian, probably been more healthy because I haven't been abusing alcohol and drugs and all those things. I've been emotionally stable and healthy because I've had good friends that have supported me through the season, the highs and lows in a a church family. My mental health has probably had a better chance of being stronger because of the reinforcing messages that remind me that I'm loved and valued in God. The messages that I hear week in, week out at church or as I read my Bible, it reminds me of, of things that give me encouragement that I have hope even beyond my circumstances. All of these things that kind of help me to be able to live a satisfied, great life, probably live longer because I've been able to be healthier with my body. All of the things that we are benefits of, of being able to just live in Christ and as Christians. So if I'm wrong, I've lived an incredible life. But if I'm right, I live more than just an incredible life. I've lived a purposeful life. I've lived the life that I'm intended to live, a life in Christ that has actually caused me to know that I've got a home in heaven to go to, that I've got hope beyond my circumstances right now, an unshakable hope. And I've just got the feeling that maybe we are right, that maybe the gospel is true, that maybe the claims of Jesus are right. 
And that is the life. And when we see people take up that life, isn't it amazing the radical transformation in their lives that we see? And that's the work of Jesus as we connect. But don't just stop with making a salvation decision. Live every day in relationship with Jesus. Philippians 2.15 says this, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on that day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. So this morning, let's be reminded again, we are people of the way. Not just a theological understanding of God, not just a belief system, not just a church attendance. We are people of the way, which means we are followers of Jesus. We follow the way, we follow the truth, follow the life that Jesus has intended for us. So Lord, this morning, everybody under the sound of my voice, I just pray that we would understand again what it means to be people of the way, what it means to be a Christian, to know God, to know the creator of the universe and to experience Him for ourselves. And I pray wherever we've got dry in our faith, I pray, water us again, Lord God. I pray, light that flame of passion and desire for you again, that intimacy and that genuine connection with you, Lord God, that's vibrant and real. We thank you for our understanding of you, Lord God, but I pray that we'd go beyond that and we'd experience you day in, day out. We'd live spirit-led lives as people of the way that are radical and go after you with every part of our bodies, part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And I don't know whether today, whether you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but I do know this. I want to give you an invitation this morning to know the way, to know the truth, to know the life that is really life that's found in Jesus. And I want to pray a simple prayer. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. That's the truth of the Word of God. And either these claims are true or they're not true, but we all have to make that decision for ourselves. If we put our trust in Jesus, we put our trust in the fact that Jesus' claims are true. And what He says will happen, will happen. And so this morning, I'm inviting you to put your trust in Jesus and give your life to Him, to repent of your sins and receive forgiveness and receive this new life, this new creation life found in Jesus. So as I pray this prayer this morning, I'm inviting you to pray it with me. I'm going to pray each line and give you a moment to be able to pray it yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. For my sins and mistakes, I'm sorry. I receive your love and forgiveness. Help me to live each day for you and to serve you only. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made that decision this morning, we'd love to encourage you and help you in that decision. Have a look to the screens of this video. It'll explain how we can help you in this journey. If you are new or have made a decision to follow Jesus, we'd love for you to head to our website, citychurchau.com. Scroll down to the I'm new or follow Jesus tab. Once you click on that, a form will appear. Fill out your name, your email and a message and send it off. Once we get this, one of our staff will contact you about the decision you have made and how to best follow you up from here.